And here comes Milwaukee, Forbes, another three. Oh, no! <laughs> this is the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. I am your host, LJ Cascon. I have Harrison with me. I have the Thunder from Down Under with me. And I also have Izzy back, first reoccurring guest, Izzy Gutierrez. Wow. We are so happy to have you back on. Yeah, no, first reoccurring guest. We'll have more in the offseason, but we're not talking about that now. What we're talking about is how you were basically Confucius because mm. I saw it. I saw the prediction that you had before the season started where you said, heat against Nuggets in the finals, heat in seven. Yeah. They called um, you a madman. Well, the funny part is more like confusing because uh, I honestly didn't even remember that. Uh, so somebody sent that to me. I think it was a DM on Instagram. And I was like, hey, look at that. And then I started remembering. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I was like, well, uh, number one seed in the East last year. Not going to really be a crazy thought to put them in the finals. And then, you know, Nikola Jokic's year, the Denver Nuggets. I don't really see the landscape of the West, you know, preseason. Uh, landscape of the West, like sh scaring me if I'm them. Let me take uh, this opportunity to do the crazy thing and pick the Heat to win a championship, and you know, make the other team seem like it, they're breaking through. Also, and um, I don't think I thought about it after I hit sent, other than when I got that 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 uh, DM the other day. So I was like, you know what? I like my thought process back then. I'm going to proudly display this, even though I picked against the Nuggets in this series and against the Heat in this series. We don't Officially. have to talk about that part. We we only yeah. have to focus on the prior October pick. That's all we have to focus on because that was the there correct pick. Or at least yeah. it looked like it. Both teams lead their respective series one nothing. Currently, I know we're recording this before tip off for game two for the Lakers in Denver. Um, that could LeBron could maybe lead them and tie it up. Who knows? But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the boogeyman. Jimothy Butler is the boogeyman. You cannot kill him. You cannot kill the Miami Heat. You have to kill them if you want to beat them because you can't just think that they're dead because they're going to rise. That's just the way that it is. That's how Bill Simmons historically projects them. I The one thing that I want to talk about right now mm. is just even before the series started, I, I have never seen Boston fans in general, whether it be Bruins, whether it be Patriots, whether it be the Celtics, be so petrified of an opponent. Well, the like the closest thing is like going to, to Miami in week 16 with Tom Brady way back when. That's the only thing that comes close. But the other part about that is, is the Celtics have given both themselves and their fans plenty of reason to be scared of anybody because everybody else in these, in this final four is undefeated at home and the Celtics in the, in the postseason, the Celtics are four and four at home and go. I think LeBron might have broken that building in 2012 because it was, that used to be the place where people essentially go to take the final L. Like if it's a big game, you're not going to win it in that building. I remember it being the most, the loudest, like outside of the, you know, the Chris Webber Sacramento Kings, that building in Boston, you know, from whatever it was, 08 through, you know, 12 was the loudest building. And when LeBron went in there and took their souls with a uh, 45 and 15, um, People just keep doing it. Uh, <laughs> Steph did it. Jimmy did it. Uh, James Harden did it. And it's just like, all right, well, maybe it's not that tough. And so they've got PTSD from all that. Their fans have P like 
PTSD from all that. And so they're that team, that fan base that is just really nervous in that building, in their home building, until they pull away. And then, you know, Jason Tatum can take as many threes as he wants and, and a bunch of front runners. But they definitely do not feel like that team at home that has their shit together. Like they are the ones who, you know, people say you have to play a perfect game to beat them only if they're on because they're going to get in their way all the time. They're going to make mistakes all the time. And, you know, it would be great if they had probably a, a different coach, you know, not the rookie who's 34 years old, who seems to be combative all the time um, in this setting because they need more of a reminder of what they did last year and not just, you know, hey, try harder and it'll be better. It's just like it's it's not the right formula right now. I'm I'm glad you said that too because we saw Missoula last night not call a timeout. You know, but at this point, it's it's historic that people have talked about it to the extent that they talked about it. He got asked about it in the press conference. He got he he seemed visibly upset mm-hmm. about getting those questions as well because he was definitely flustered in that moment. The players didn't really know how to respond. But to your point too, the Garden is not what you think it is. Like like you said, when LeBron went in there in 2012. I didn't have a whole lot of faith that they would be able to come out of there because like that's back when you, it had the awe of it, right? The aura of you're playing in the garden, not, not the Mecca you're playing in the garden and let's see what happens. And then LeBron went and did what he did. It, it enough needs to be said about how the heat closed games and all the clutch games where you don't feel uneasy ever with them in a close game. Cause you're like, they've been here. They're going to close it out. It's just what they do. I feel such an insane amount of calmness in my body when I see a five-point game in the fourth quarter in Boston between these two teams. I shouldn't. When you look at regular seasons, you shouldn't, but you do because of what this team, Miami, this team has been through and what the Celtics have been through as well. I don't even get concerned when you're talking about a double-figure lead or deficit, rather, if you're talking from the heat in the first half or, frankly, the third quarter. Like it's one of those where it's so so strange because you've seen in the regular season so many times where they, uh, to steal a stolen phrase from Missoula, uh, where they kind of let go of the rope in a regular season game where it's just like, yeah, yeah, this game's just going to, and it got away from them and all of a sudden it's a 30 point loss. And it's like that characteristic, I didn't feel like it would ever show up with a Spo team, a Heat team, a Jimmy Butler team, but it was kind of there this season. And You know, when you think back on it, you kind of say to yourself, well, there's got to be some level of mental fatigue. The stuff that Jimmy was saying about, you know, we, you know, we don't want to stay in the fight or whatever. We get bored of it. That's what he said. And like you at the time, I'm thinking, oh, it's it's basketball talk. It's, you know, they're just trying to talk their way out of what seems like just a, a rut of the season. But it kind of is that. Like, it kind of feels like this team has been worked, like they just work so hard all the time to try to perfect what they have that even if, you know, the one year they didn't go very far, every other year they've made it to the conference finals and it just gets mentally draining. And who knows what else is going on in everybody else's lives, personal lives, coaches' lives. Um, And so when, when they do that, when they have that performance in the first round, you're just like, man, it doesn't really matter because when they're laser focused, they've got all the elements that really matter. They've got a star who you can lean on, which is crazy because like, I'm telling you, if that was a regular season game, Jimmy's missing half those fadeaways, half of them. It's crazy. Um, but you have the star that can give you that. You have the coach that you always know is going to put you in a great position. And then you just got the role players who know where their opportunities are coming from. And that's something else that changes from game to game in the regular season. You're not 100% sure where your opportunities are going to come from. Now you know, 
and you're practicing it and you're playing against it the same for, you know, a two week span. And so it just gives you all the faith in the world. Like what other elements do you have? Do you need? Yes. A couple of guys need to make some shots, but hell it's the NBA. They either have all right capable of it or not. And most of the guys that are on this that are in this rotation, we've seen them do it for some stretch of time. So it's an insane level of confidence. I don't think it it makes the, the the regular season meaningless per se, because there's a lot of things they had to work through and figure out whether they can or cannot do. But it makes the record, I think, in the regular season kind of meaningless. Yeah, I think Izzy, I think you kind of just took the point that I was thinking about saying. Like, I think it's hard for us, even as fans who are having trouble getting through this particular 82 game regular season and even turn into an 84 game kind of regular season kind of thing. Um, it's not, it's not the, the stuff that happened during the season matters. It's just that the record and the seating for this team specifically that can go and win games on the road does not matter. I saw stats earlier today, this heat team in the playoffs this year are now five and two when they're down by 10 or more in a game. Uh, most teams, I mean, the, the other records for other teams are, are not even, you know, they're way, way under 500 if you get down by 10. And I always said in the regular season, like, it's much easier to win a game in which you don't trail by double mm-hmm. digits. And, and how I, many times, Harry, did you say to yourself this regular season, why can't they keep a lead? Like, why can't they turn a 10-point lead into a blowout? Now you're looking at the other side of that and it's like, oh, oh, it's because when teams turn it on, you have you're at their mercy and now the heat are the ones that oh it's down 15 let's turn it on see if we have it and if we have it you're at our mercy and izzy they were they were in dog fights all season long with um the detroit pistons uh the san antonio spurs that just won the first overall pick in the draft lottery the other night like teams that were not good were not trying to be good um did not want to win Yep. You know, the Rockets, all these, uh, the Thunder, oh, Thunder were better this year, but there were just, there were teams that were just not, and, and they, but, but listen, and then it also leads to last night was even including the postseason. That's the Heat's 37th clutch win of the season. Yeah. And so when you think about that, and I was talking about this earlier on, like in impromptu spaces, um, I just think Spo let what happened, what needed to happen this, uh, this season. He let lineups out there that maybe didn't make a ton of sense. He played guys that were kind of asking what they're doing out there, but it just gives him like, it gives him so it, it one. It doesn't put a ton of stuff on tape for other teams. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't, watching the regular season, you could so not agree pre- with that. You could not prepare for this postseason heat. I think that's intentional. We were making the joke about it in, in the basement in our group chats among each other on streams that Spo is kind of this, not a joke that he's a mad genius, but he that's what he's doing that. There's nothing you can watch from the regular season and say, oh, this I, I, I can figure out the heat now. You right. have to adjust series to series, game to game. I think that's harder for coaches that haven't done it as often, and that's supposed bread and butter. And, and I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt there. Like, the thing about – I don't think people really understand what is meant or the luxury that comes with the statement – you might have the best coach in the NBA on your sideline because like I've been uh, not that I'm here to promote, but I've been uh, working on this podcast. It's actually re- uh, the first episode releasing on next Tuesday, the 23rd. And it's about the LeBron era Miami heat. It's called four years of heat. It's through iHeartMedia and the NBA. And so I've been talking a lot about Spo that group or whatever. And it's so crazy to sort of watch and think back and sort of review the evolution of Spo where yeah, he had the first two seasons uh, without LeBron, but it really, like, 
really learned a lot with LeBron. And when you combine the things that I'd sort of been looking up and, and, or talking to people about, and like even that athletic story about Spo on how upset he was after that Dallas series. And he put it on himself for not figuring out within the series, uh, much less from game to game, what he can do or within a game, what he can do to, to, to counter whatever it was that Dallas was doing, because that Dallas, you know, Rick Carlisle really flummoxed that team. You know, they went with the sort of Popovich offense to force them into contested jumpers, but then they went to a zone in game four that just blew LeBron's mind and they get a lot of credit for that. And Spo does not get a lot of uh, criticism for not responding to that. And it's fair that he didn't at the time because it was in his third year, fourth year, third year, third year third. in the seat. And so you take that into account, right? What he changed the next year for that offense. You go into those next playoffs where from one series against the Pacers, where they're forced to go big to match up and they don't have Chris Bosh, to the very next series against the Celtics, they changed the offense entirely. They changed the offense entirely from like this, you know, to what they'd been running all season to basically like five out and a bunch of just like random cuts and curls uh, with whenever, you know, you sort of uh, feel like your defender's not looking or what have you, or you have an opportunity. And it was the perfect offense for then the Celtics who had matched up with you and went small. And then against the Thunder, you had your pick. You could do whatever you want. It's just a matter of, hey, are they going to play Kendrick Perkins? Oh, they are? Okay, then we're just going to do this. And it was a nightmare for, for OKC. And so, and that was 2012. Like, he's gotten so much better as a coach to where the adjustments are, you don't have to wait from series to series. You don't have to wait from game to game. They're happening like that, like in the games. And, you know, whether you have to, like, be a real basketball nerd to recognize them or not, like, that's not the point. The point is just know that guy's going to give you every chance to win. And when you look at this roster outside of Jimmy and Bam, like, yeah, that's the amount of credit Spo deserves. And that, uh, and Izzy, that was what I was just telling somebody that I still think we'll, we'll see where this run goes, obviously, but I still think 2012 is Spo's most impressive uh, postseason coaching job, you know, starting in the off season where he went out. I remember he went out to Oregon to go talk to Chip yeah. Kelly and learn the pace and space kind of on a football field and then went to go apply that to the basketball court. And then we're in the postseason. Bosch goes down, um, which was huge. I mean, there's really, there was no replacement for Chris Bosch on that team, but essentially plugging in Battier as the small ball four. You know, that and, championship team started a game with Dexter Pittman. Like, right. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, the, I mean, so it was kind of crazy that, so you're, cause you don't remember that stuff. Like you tend to remember the good times and not, and not the low times, but that, I mean, that was a crazy run. Cause that was when like the heat were down two one to Indiana and mm -hmm. it was right after Wade had his knee drained and then he came out and had a massive 40 point game and Haslam had the huge, um, a huge game in that one too. And they tied it. They, they just funny how we remember that, but they're LeBron, like, LeBron had the 40 Dwayne had 30 some, but still. Oh, sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was LeBron. I like, Dwayne I like Wade, and I like Wade, I like Wade better. So, um, <laughs> So it was that, then it was the Celtic series where they were down, and obviously you had um, the game that you were referencing earlier, LeBron game six in the garden, which mm -hmm. may have broken the the Celtics fans completely. And then obviously I think um, while the Thunder was a close, like there were games that were close and things that were happening, um, 
I mean, Spo really outcoached. Uh, I'm going to forget his name. Scott but Brooks. Scott Brooks. Yeah. Um, I mean, he really he really took him to the woodshed. And so when you think about that stuff, that was a good game for me, by the way, because I, I I don't like to brag, but I was at Game Five. I was sitting next to Kevin Durant's brother. Oh wow! And and so before the game, I just said, "Hey, man, good luck to you, but like, please don't be mad at me if I'm yelling." <laughs> and that was the game that Mike Miller had. That you know, so. We've, I think it, as Heat fans, we've had a lot of really cool postseason runs. Um, this one's different than all the other ones because uh, maybe except for you, Izzy, because hmm. you were you had confidence in the last podcast that you were here that they could – I don't think anyone expected it, right? Most people assume they would lose to the Bucks hmm. in five or six games, maybe less. Um, but once that happened and once you got that and then, you know, you're facing a Knicks team where you're like, this Knicks team's okay. The Heat should be able to take advantage. And here we are, you know, we're getting ready for game two of the Eastern Conference Finals in a place in Boston, like you mentioned, that um, they haven't had a ton of success. I think they're right. like, I think they're 10 and 10 now over the over the last two postseason mm-hmm. in the garden. The only time they really, the only time they really, really look super dominant is game sevens in Boston. They've been able to um, put yeah. the clamps on and run. And a lot away. of that comes with the road team, you know, mm-hmm. vomiting Just, on themselves a little yeah, bit. Yeah, being, being tired. And yeah, but so we're to just... get back to your point about like my faith in the team. So to be like totally honest, my faith was just built on this simple fact. And I'm pretty sure it's the way I described it to you guys. It's like, as long as Jimmy and Bam are in the lineup, any given game, home or road, I feel entering the game decent about their chances of winning. If, you know, you can tell early on if it's not one of those games, but it's not like you felt like you were undermanned or incapable it was always like, hey, what do we have today? And so if you knew they had, and it's like, hey, you can win this game. You can win in Boston when, you know, Jimmy flies up after missing some games. You can win in Milwaukee or whatever. Um, I don't even know if that Jimmy one was last season or this season. It's getting so confused. But uh, so that part is, to me, it's just like, okay, when when the playoffs come, assuming everybody's still available, when you sort of narrow that focus and really, you know, laser in, um, yeah, I think they're capable of winning any game still and then doing it the next night and the next night. And so, and that's where, you know, having Spolster is great too, because even when you win, like a lot of these coaches get complacent. It's like, oh, the next game, let's do the same thing. We'll, we'll win again. But it's no, you make little adjustments and you sort of beat the opponent to the punch. And I think the the coolest part about it is like, there's a couple of really great feelings as a sports fan. Um, You know, the big three era to me is one of those where, it's more relief, right? You have these crazy high expectations. You're nervous as hell that some other city is going to come in and swipe up all that good feeling. And then, you know, and then finally you let it all out when you win. But the two feelings for me and both the Miami Heat have sort of done both of these now for me. Um, one is having that superstar that you didn't realize was going to be a superstar when you got him. And it's like, holy, wow, this guy's amazing. And he's ours. And he's probably going to be ours forever. Like that feeling with Dwayne Wade was, was a great one. And then this feeling where you're not expecting to do this, but it's not like an NCAA tournament where you can just have one or two games where you sort of provide upsets. It's consistent. It's like, wow, we weren't even, we were an eight seed. And now we're sitting here, you know, dancing with the, where the ones and twos normally dance. Like, the unexpected nature of the run makes it that much more fulfilling as a fan. So it's like, it's a different experience altogether. Like it's never going to be the same feeling as, you know, up there in game six at the top of the 100s. Like, man, is this, is this like a, 
letdown? What's happening here? And then the bomb goes off when when Ray Allen hits the three. It's not the same, you know, sort of levels of emotions, but this one kind of allows you to ride that high for longer without being scared. Uh, you were probably scared before game one by like middle of the third quarter. You're like, hey, we're good. Like, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. They're going to be able to give them a fight. And that's something you just didn't expect. So that unexpected sort of uplifting feeling from your team, top two experiences as a fan to me. I got to say, too, it's like, George, I'm going to toss it to you in a second here with this exact question as well. Like, to your point, Izzy, as well, of just they don't ever feel out of it. The, the 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 runs that you appreciate the most that I've gotten been lucky enough to experience as a sports fan too are the ones that you don't expect. There aren't expectations. You go in and you're completely wowed. A large chunk of that is because of Coach Spo and what he's able to cook up on a quarter to quarter basis. Yeah. You saw it last night. They got, they got killed in the paint. Game one in New York. They got killed in the paint. Spo goes into the halftime adjustment. Completely turns the game on its head in the third quarter. They never feel like they're out of it despite what if you want to make the case of like a talent gap or disparity. Yeah. You could technically, I guess, say that. But what I want to ask all of you guys, is this the most determined team that you've ever seen? At, even if it's just whether it be sports or just Miami in general, just from a talent perspective, they're just determined to outwill their opponents. It's funny because um, we saw another version of this, uh, with especially with the question that you're asking with the Kings. You saw how much they won in it. You saw how much. And I thought that was the story of, of the NBA, like of the playoffs, was like how how much Sacramento actually wanted it and took it on themselves to try and win that series. And now you've got the Heat doing it bigger and better. In in deeper in the playoffs, deeper in the runs. I still think I'll, I'll say yes. I'll, I'll say yes. This is definitely the most determined, especially um specifically, sorry, most determined spolster team I've seen in a long time, probably if ever. Um the thing I want to go back to as well with the, the whole thing with Spolstra and see that where well, you see the difference differences between Spolstra and a coach like Joel Missoula, uh, he's going to make rookie mistakes. Missoula already did a couple last night. I saw the clipboard throw. I you just don't do that after first, a game was one. That first quarter, I was the, the first, was quarter the first quarter of game one. He's throwing clipboards, and then after the game, you, he he the coping mechanism that my that that sends me every single time is the um we won three quarters. It's so I just, lazy. I just don't like that. I don't like that and as a rookie coach, but I can, I can expect they're coming from a rookie coach. Um, but no, let, was, let, here's the thing. So what drives me nuts about that, you can have the player say that, you can have the fan say that. Don't say that as the coach. Like, is that how you coach? You only coach by quarters? Like, go ahead and break the day down into eighths. Uh, I'm pretty sure I did it. Break the game down into eighths. The Heat won more eighths. I'd rather have more, uh, you know, more eighths than just one quarter you know what i'm saying or i don't know whatever uh, there's a weed joke in there that i didn't make very well but uh that's just it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter how you break the game down is it a half okay did the heat win the second half i think they did right um so that when when you play with the numbers just to try to to sort of calm down the media or the hate that you expect to come like that's not that's not the game the coach is supposed to play. You're supposed to be above that. Spo would not have done that. Not when he was in year three, year two, year one. He would just, you know, try to find a way to, you know, drop a cliche and get out of the press conference, but then get back to what really mattered. And uh, that, to me, I think, you know, it's it's the product of him just not being experienced. And he's, I, I, I don't think that you can sort of gain the respect from your players 
when that's your greatest like argument after a game like that. Like, give me, give me a complaint about the refs. Do something to sort of lean anything for your team in your in your direction, but don't try to placate a bunch of people who are going to say that you're trash just because it's an opinion. Like that, that's the least least most important, the least important thing that you've got to worry about in that post game. And, and I think, they think they think it's the all-star game. It's, you don't get points for winning a quarter. The $50,000 don't go to your favorite charity because you won quarter one by two points and then you lost quarter three by 21 points. There's a big disparity there and it needs to be touched on. Harry, what were you going to say? And I think, you know, I've been, uh, Izzy, I've been mocked online a lot because I, I bring up my very short um, coaching experience at the when I was a coach for Coral Springs Rec. Mm. Um but I just think – I think as a coach in any sport, regardless of what you're doing, if you're coaching I-9 or whatever you do, like at least for me, win, lose, win, lose, uh, win or loss, you'd go home and you'd be thinking about like what, what can we do to improve? Like how can I make my players better? How can I put them in better spots to succeed? So I would think if you took that example and applied it to like a professional level where this is their job and where you're talking about some of the greatest minds in basketball history, especially when you're referring to Spolstra, that's exactly what he's doing. He's super happy they won yesterday. And at the same time, he's probably spent all day trying to figure out why Robert Williams had a big half. And, mm-hmm. you know, because he, no one wants that to happen. No one wants Robert Williams to have a big half, except for Robert Williams and family uh, and maybe the Celtics. But otherwise, no one no one wants that. No one, no one likes that. So, um, you know, no one wants uh, – you know, for example, with the, if there was another, there wasn't another game, but no one wants Jason Tatum to have fifty-one points again. That no one wants that because you're probably not going to win those games. So, I, I think to, I think it's crazy to, like you're saying, to downplay that after and say, well, we outplayed them for three quarters of the game. And it's like, man, you you lost at home. You no longer have home court advantage. How are you winning game two? That's the only question you have to ask. Like, yeah. how are how are you winning game two? And what are the adjustments you're making? Um, to slow down the heat are you still you know are you gonna let yeah. them continue to shoot because you're not expecting them to shoot 50 percent from three again and i just i think that's kind of like i find it weird when coaches want to you know the good thing about the heat is they don't blame the officials i mean they can talk about it amongst themselves if they want to be mad at a call or this or that or a scott foster game which i'm sure is coming tomorrow it is. Um, <laughs> but but that's not what the coach's job is the coach's job is to make his players better and to put them in better spots so that they could they can say you know what Win or win or lose, we played our best game and we'll get better going forward. And that's kind of how, um, you know, that's why NBA, that's how NBA basketball works. The other thing, LG, just to answer the original question um, about the determination is an interesting one because I remember Wade came to a game at the end of the season and Jimmy and him were talking. They have a very, very close relationship, obviously. And Jimmy told him, like, I'm going to win one here. I- I'm going to win. And at the time, fans are, fans are like, Okay, Jimmy says that every year, mm-hmm. you know, whether he's stupidly locked in or just locked in. Um, Jimmy's one of the most confident basketball players you'll ever find. And I think it was interesting last night because I thought he had a very good postgame presser. And one of the guys asked a very long-winded question that wasn't so good. And he was basically like, what are, what are your thought process as the season going on? Did you think you could be in this spot? Like, mm-hmm. did you think you could be sitting here up 1-0 in the conference finals? And he was like, Absolutely. Like we talk about it. We're confident among ourselves. I'm confident in me. I'm confident in Bam. I'm confident in everybody in this locker room. I'm confident in every coach in here. Like they give us the game plan to go out and execute and we do our best to do it. And um, listen, this heat team believes they're winning the championship. If you went in there and asked them right now, 
and you pulled every guy on the team, you know, from Jimmy Butler to Jamal Kane, who's not even eligible to play, they're they're telling you that they're winning the championship. Mm-hmm. And whether that happens or not will be up to how they play and and you know how their opponents play and how they how they force their opponents into tough spots. But you know they believe that, and so um, sometimes their belief is stronger than your doubt, and that's kind of where we've been in this run. And um, this is why I think um, you know multiple levels where Kevin Love is helpful. But I don't know if you saw that quote from yesterday uh, from the game one situation, but um, he said he basically compared Jimmy to LeBron and just knowing that you're going to get a good shot. You know, you run through him. He's going to be, you know, thoughtful. He's going to be unselfish. He's going to run the offense. And whether he takes a shot or gives it up, you know, you're going to be in good position. And this is where you know, a lot of the shooters, you know, if you talk, you talk about how did the shooters just all of a sudden figure it out? Well, it's because, again, you know where your shots are coming from. You're prepared before you shoot it, not like you're catching it. It's like, oh, shit, I got to shoot this. And so those those types of shots are a lot more available to you. They come to you more often uh, as in the playoffs when you're prepared properly. Um, but the one thing that, um, you know, Kevin Love just saying something like that or tell, I'm sure he's told the rest of the team, it's like, oh, wow, that gives Gabe Vincent confidence to be like, if that dude is being compared by, to LeBron by somebody who won a championship with him, then all I've got to do is be better than, I don't know, Matthew Della Vadova, or just pick anybody from those Cavs team or whoever. And it's no just like, well, I know, yeah, I know I'm better than that guy or Max Struess, who's probably going to get a lot of money as a, you know, do everything wing. Um, like those guys believe that they're good enough. And that is the way you inject that, um, you know, whether it be the heat history, uh, whether, you know, we don't talk about Lizzo, Pat Riley, want to talk about the current uh, team with Spo and Jimmy and just continuing to give you proof uh, that they can do it if you follow them. And to get back to the original question again, I don't know if this is, you know, it's something it's immeasurable, right? But in terms of uh, resolve for a team, but I have a comp. And I'm starting to think that this Miami Heat team is kind of like the Baltimore Ravens of, um, you know, Ed Reed and Ray Lewis, where you don't really know what you're going to get, you know, through the course of a 16 game season. But, you know, you're going to get absolute dogs who show you how good they are only when it really matters and can possibly take that and make a postseason run all the way to a title. Like that is kind of the feeling, the basketball version of the feeling that I get where it's a little bit of bully. It's still a good amount of talent. You know, I can't take that away from Jimmy and Bam and all those guys, but it's a little bit of that bully mentality. And, you know, nobody's stepped up to them yet. This You've seen that exactly with Gabe Vincent, mainly who has had two bad regular, not bad, but lackluster regular seasons and then two straight Good postseason. You've seen Struess, who was kind of bad last playoffs, kind of slept walk like most Heat players did through the regular season, having an incredible playoffs. And then you saw it again with uh, with Kyle Lowry coming off the bench. He was hurt last year, I admittedly. Dogs, yep. But Kyle Lowry coming back and being healthy now has made an insane difference. But I wanted to bring the attention to a player last time we had you on saying it would be an important postseason run for him. Bam Adebayo. Hmm. You said it would be very important for Bam to be able to come out and show out. And he's done that. He closed out with a triple-double in Milwaukee. 
after having yep. a pretty lackluster series just because of the way that Milwaukee played their defense. It was more indicative of the Miami shooters that was the reason that, that series was so successful. But then Bam was arguably the best player the entire series against New York. You after game two. Once about Bam. I would say after game two, it was clearly was. It probably has a total package. I would say he, he probably was as well. Um, what I think that people seem to sort of, I don't know, forget or just don't have that perspective. Oh, it's still zero zero Panthers Hurricanes for those who care. Um, <laughs> I also know exactly when I'm taping this. Um, the he's had so much to learn. I, this was a mind-boggling thought that I had the other day as somebody was talking about Bam and the levels that he has uh, increased to uh, at, as a professional. That dude was a role player in college. Like, it's not like he had the keys to a team in college and said, oh, yeah, I can do all this stuff. Let me go pro. It was, hey, I'm a big who's athletic, who can defend and knows the game some. Let me go pro. And now it's just like, wow, look at all these things that they're giving me the chance to do. And then you're just like, oh, yeah, score more and do it in small windows because Jimmy and these other guys need the ball, too. It's just a ridiculous ask. It's way too much. And I do understand how occasionally that can get away. Like, if his mind is thinking, damn, these people are disappointed because I'm not taking this shot. I'm not being aggressive. It's going to screw you up on the defensive end. And he is the one person who cannot be screwed up on the defensive because he's got to be everywhere. And so I think the pressure on him this I would say the second half of the season going into the postseason, way too much for somebody who's given you so many things that you don't even recognize and you won't recognize until he's gone. Um, I think, oh, sorry, my bad. No, no, but that said, all that said, I think what he's recognizing is, oh, I already have the bag. I've developed it. It's there. We saw it, the comfort level with the Jays and everything else. I just have to tell myself that I can beat that guy. And it took a little bit with Milwaukee, took a little bit shockingly with Mitchell Robinson, hasn't taken any time in this series. And I think it's that experience that he's had. It's like, all right, I sort of fumbled my way through it, but eventually figured it out. Milwaukee, same thing with New York, not going to fumble my way through it. The effort always has to be there. The rebounds always has to have to be there. And he knows his teammates aren't going to give him shit if his shot attempts are not, I'm sorry, if his shot per field goal percentage is not great. But if he does everything else, if he's like, you know, Clint Capella plus, you know, some more, and I know we have a higher opinion of Clint Capella than everybody else because of that game, then um, then you're good. You've done what you need to do. And so he sort of relieved the pressure of himself from having to score, but also created the confidence that he can do it. And so that dude gives you a, a 20 and 12 game in at this level of the playoffs. You know he has busted his ass to get it. And that's exactly what you need from him. So I guess my one follow-up would be to, for you and to Harry and George as well. Do you guys see that BAM continuing, the one that we saw in game one, the one that we've seen on the back end of New York and the back end of Milwaukee? Do you think BAM can keep that up? Because let, let's be honest, I love Florida. Al Horford's old as hell. He's slow. He's not keeping up with BAM. I don't even think Missoula's stupid enough to put him on BAM. I don't think that Rob Williams is necessarily healthy enough to be able to do anything with BAM anyway. I think that 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 ship has, has sailed. They They screwed up Rob Williams enough. We've talked about that ad nauseum about his, his meniscus and everything too. I don't think that's coming back. Do you guys think that Bam can continually do what he's been doing against Rob Williams, continue to beat the allegations as he did in the regular season? He did it in game one. Is this something that we can expect from Bam for the rest of the series? However long. My answer's short. My answer's short, so I'll go first. I think when he's not providing it for you, whatever that is, it's it's going to be 
very obvious and it won't last. You know what I mean? Like once it's obvious that bam, Hey, you're not giving us what you're supposed to. I think he is, he is recognizing that faster and turning that switch faster. And so, yes, I think the effort will be there throughout as will the pockets of offensive aggressiveness. Um, I expect Bam to do exactly what he's done, what he did yesterday as well. It's, and do I think he can keep it up? I think he can because for us to be successful in the series, he needs to be the one to enforce his will just as much as Jimmy Butler. You look at a guy, you look at a team that 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 hones in on Jimmy now, understanding what what he's about, what his game is. You saw him; he destroyed them on both sides of the floor yesterday. Bam needs to be the one to take the pressure off of Jimmy because it's going to be a dog fight in game two, especially for a player like Jimmy Butler who's going to be hunting for his shot. They and look, we, we both know Jimmy as well as you know the next person. He's still gonna he's still gonna give you thirty five. He's still gonna give you thirty. Twenty seven. By okay? the way, that's the exact number I, I predicted in front of my family. We're coming to watch the Hey game at my house. I said Jimmy's gonna give thirty five tonight. Thirty five. Nailed it. It's he's gonna give you at least twenty seven as well. Like let's let's put the benchmark at a twenty seven. But mm -hmm. Bam's gonna have to be the one to really afford force his agenda. On that team, especially when you've got a 37-year-old Al Horford, an unhealthy Rob Will, um, a Danilo Gallinari-less uh, Celtics, you just need to – you have to take advantage. You have to do something, and I think you will. I've gotten to that point with Bam where I was frustrated and, and angry because I knew what he was capable of. He is my favorite player in the league. He, he always will be, you know, for as long as he wears that Miami Heat uniform. It's because I know what he can do. And you've seen it. I see it in different parts of the season. You saw his defensive outbreak and, and you know, prowess over the last few years. This year took more of an offensive stance. And it was, it was great. The, te the, the team really benefited from when he was playing well. But I now know what his role is. I now know what they want him to do. I now, I now know what he needs to do to himself to get him psyched up enough to take on, you know, the likes of a Giannis, the likes of, a Julius Randle, um, one of those types of players. I, I hate Julius Randle. I can't take it anymore. I can't even lie anymore. I, I don't. I, I've never seen a bigger. You are the seventh man on this roster. Try and be the third man on the roster. I can't take it anymore. From the day he was drafted, the day first time I saw him, I was like, that guy's going to spend a career as a bull in the china shop in the NBA, and he hasn't changed a bit. Harry, were you annoyed when, uh, when, um? What's his face? Horford was out there preening after a little bit. I think it was the second quarter. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not happy when. The, listen, I have a lot of respect for Al Horford. I know you're probably a decent Horford fan because he won you a few championships that you. I mean, he's Dominican and he's a Gator, yeah, but he's yeah, also so, an enemy. Yeah. So you know, I I didn't understand it. And then the funny part of, about a taunt like that is like, yo, at any time you could have called a timeout when you needed it, man. And you just like listen, good three, good shot. I don't remember him hitting another one after that. Um, you know, those are the kind of guys that you, you can't be, I don't know. Yeah, you can't be out there. Uh, he doesn't do it that often, which is why I yeah. was surprised that he just chose game one, you know, second quarter against this yeah. team. And you would and you would think a guy like that who's been in these battles, I think, what, Horford was the oldest player ever to have not played. It was like the most postseason games to not play in the finals last right. year, right? And then they finally yeah. made it. So it's like, you know, you've been around the block, man. Like, you got to know better than that. Um I think to I think to kind of answer the question, the most the, the thing that I like best about Bam this preseason, uh, postseason, I, I apologize, is 
he had that bad Knicks game, and he came out in the press conference and he said, I wasn't good enough. That was yeah. the game that Jimmy didn't play. That was the game where uh, Isaiah Hart- Hartenstein was really getting a ton of rebounds over him in the fourth quarter. And it was a winnable game, a game that even without Jimmy, people thought, man, we could have really gone up 2-0 on the Knicks, and this series might have been a, a clean sweep. And Bam has had a lot of press conferences where he tells us that he wasn't aggressive enough. And yeah. so a lot of people in the timeline were like, great, he's talking about his aggressiveness again. But you know what? He has been a different player since that game, since that press conference. He's been more confident. Um, he's been absolute an absolute menace defensively, which you know you're usually going to get 150% from Bam on the defensive. And I've said this on the pod before. I've said this many times. I believe Bam's the best defender I've ever watched play basketball. I don't think there's ever been anyone who can do everything that he can do at every position. Someone threw out like Kawhi in his prime. I think Bam is better based on the guys that he can guard in the league at every spot, at every level, at different times. I don't think any big men who you think is an elite defender could be switched out on a Steph Curry or some of these elite guards and still hold their own. He's been able to do that throughout his career. Mm. He takes it to another level. Do you level. think he gets the benefit for playing center, even though he's 6'9 and you know historically not really a center? Because it's less impressive for a for a 6'9 power forward to go switch onto a point guard than it is a center. But I guess when you combine the fact that he is playing the center, which, you know, is a obviously a position for bigger people, it sort of doubles down on that a little bit. It adds, it's a great, I never thought about it in that big of a picture. And I would agree with you on the Kawhi thing because Kawhi, in terms of rim protection in the paint, like he can block shots, obviously, but in the paint, um, not the same as, as, I mean, like Kawhi could have blocked Jason Tatum at the rim like that, but would he have? I just think I just think when you look at the whole picture, and uh, we're hopefully going to have many, 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 many more years to discuss Bam as a player as he grows. He's 25 years old, so we're we're hopefully we're hopefully looking at if he wants to at least another 10 years in the NBA if he if he wants. Um, but I, I just the way he plays, the things that he can do, the way he moves. So like, yes, uh, you know, uh, maybe you think a power forward could guard a guard. It doesn't happen that often. There's You're very right. few guys in the league that can do it. And the other part about his game, and I was talking about this last night too. So I was watching the game at a bar last night. I wasn't look. Sometimes I look at my phone to look at stats if I'm home. I wasn't doing that. Every bucket he made just seemed really big. Like every shot and every make seemed really crucial from Bam. So people have always been saying, man, I want him to score more. I want 25. I want this. The numbers for Bam really aren't that important. You, you want him to be felt on the court, both obviously defensively and then offensively. Like the fact that Jimmy can drive and dish off to him and he hits a little floater and he's kind of become more of a offensive release valve for them where he can mm-hmm. hit this uh, mid-range jumper is huge for them that they had yes. that option with a guy like that. And the, and the deeper that the heat get into the paint, the more that a Jimmy can drive to the basket, the more that uh, Kyle can get in there, the more that a Caleb can even get to the basket. Yeah means that those defenders are crashing on them, and it gives Bam just that little bit of space to get off that shot. You know why else it's so huge, Harry, is because the times that Bam frustrates the living bejesus out of you is when he is overthinking out there, when he's pivot, pivot, pivot. Oh, where am I going? When it's just, hey, this is your shot. You know you're going to get it. You don't have to think. You already got the defender off balance. Go ahead and put it up. It's just so much easier for him. He's already got to think so much on the other end of the floor. Like, make it easier for him on this end. He can give you, you know, efficiency. Or when he just, or like last night, for example, when he just like picks up the rebound, takes it down the court and goes coast to coast. And you're like, 
you can do that, man. That's a skill you have that, that one people aren't usually ready for the size and the speed and the ball handling coming down the court. And he's a good uh, finisher at the basket. He can make that, he can make that layup with speed and efficiency. So did you hear Jeff Van Gundy, uh, just drooling about Nikola Jokic taking the ball up to the court and dishing it off. And he's like, what other center have you seen do that? I'm just like, I see it every damn night, yeah. man. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, I, uh, I think we'll like a bigger macro picture we'll look at and we'll be like, you know, obviously what Jokic is doing over there is incredible, but we have a really special guy. Yeah. Oh, I'm not comparing the two. I'm no, just I know. saying taking it down and dishing off. No, I know. That's, but that's not the only center that does it. It was really that's, impressive that's that he was able to walk up 15 feet. Like, I, I don't know many centers that can walk in a straight line for 15 feet. That's Mason Plummer's entire back. He's taking it half, over half court. That's uh, his yeah. entire game. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, obviously, when you're watching these guys and they get into the call in the game, there's a ton of hyperbole. But I just think when we talk about Bam and what he brings and what we need from him um, – Yo, he's he's made it clear he hates this team, which for Bam is for me it's excellent. Like, I think he needs that. You know, there's the there was a story that came out about Bam when he was trying out for the Heat before they drafted him. And they talked about how they were like uh, trying to make him angry and seeing what he could do, and and he just really surprised them with his uh, ferocity. And I hmm. think that's something that we don't see a ton game to game, season to season. He's Bam seems like a nice guy. He took the call after one of the post games to, to talk to his mom, which is super sweet. So you just think of this guy who's like very well mannered. He's a, he's a nice dude, but he's mean and you need yeah. that mean Bam on the court. I've been trying to figure out Bam's personality forever. Cause it's like, I get the heavy mama's boy. Great. Like, but he also does have that, you know, the dog that comes out but it has to be, I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think it's just one of those deals where he's just like really nice and like hard to, to really upset him that much, you know? And I don't know, maybe it's like something else that has to, you know, motivate him. Maybe it's just something that has to be contrived. I don't know, but I love when I see it. And, you know, it's not, it's not the referee. The referees don't piss him off enough because when he doesn't get calls, he does complain, but it doesn't really turn his game around. It's something. I just don't know what it is. So before we we go here, I do want to say, but when we opened, uh, we gave you your props for preseason predictions. I know that you said that uh, you might not have picked them in this series. Now that uh, now that we're one game in, I'll give you a chance to walk it back if you want to. Who do who oh, do he, you think who do you think's winning the series? Uh, Heat in five. That's the correct answer. I wanted to give you a chance to, to create some insurance. And uh, speaking of insurance, I think George wants to talk to us about insurance. Where's the graphic? There it is. A primary sponsor of the, of the Basement Sports Network, Simple Health Advisors. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated. Email them or give them a call today and tell them that the basement sent you. Uh, email James Pugh at simplehealthadvisors.com. Phone number is 321-345-7738. That is the... Uh, there's the primary sponsor of the uh, Basement Sort Network, 321-345-7738. That's an incredible and weird phone number as someone who lives in Australia. And every single number starts in 04 here. Hmm. So that just threw me off. Thank you very I, much. I appreciate you going off script there a little bit. That was fun. <laughs> so and I want to ask you, you said the well. plug. What's up? When I, th when I thought you said the plug, I thought I was going to send you the lob so you could do it. No, I was not expecting that at I, all. I purposely in any capacity. I purposely That's my first time doing it. I want to see gonna have the kinks. 
(laughs) Harry and George, we haven't gotten main predictions from you guys yet because the last time we potted, we still didn't know who the Heat were going to play. So who do you guys think? Is it are are you guys with Izzy now with Heat and five? Because that's my prediction. Heat and six. Um, listen, I I try to be I try to just give my opinion before the series. It's it's been going well. I'm happy to continue. to be wrong. I like, I'm enjoying being wrong. Crow does not taste bad at all. Um, so I said Celtics in six, I'll leave it at that. There's no reason for, for me to change it. I mean, in six, you kind of expected a uh, split to happen. So Celtics um, lost game one to the Sixers, right? They yes. did. They trailed. Yeah, they well, like, you know, I mean, they trailed three, two, but then doc rivers, doc river. Yeah. So. My and, official and, pick for com was Celtics in seven and that I can't yeah. change, but yeah. And Izzy, this is the fifth straight time the Celtics have dropped game one to the Heat in a postseason series. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they just, I think a lot of those were obviously uh, at home, but. The difference that I, the reason, I'm, you know, the Heat in five is more, hey, for the people. But, um, Mike, I've, I'm way more confident in the Heat versus the Celtics in game two than I was versus the Bucks in game two, even without Giannis. And yeah, even in against the Knicks, obviously Jimmy wasn't going to play, but like it, there's something about the Celtics. There's something about taking their soul. There's something about the way they see the Miami heat. And there's something about the way, you know, Eric Spolster knows how to coach against this team and certainly knows how to coach against a rookie head coach who seems to like, we talked about the heat, not really showing their cards until maybe 80% of the regular season's done. The Celtics team has been the same. It's been the same all year long, which is why they were lauded when it was just like, oh, they went to the double bigs, which they did against Atlanta. Nobody seemed to notice. Um, not a starting lineup, but they did it against Atlanta for one or two games. And then in this game, it's like, that's the big adjustment. I'm going to, my back pocket is, I'm only going to play seven guys, but I'm going to change the who plays with who. And like, it's, it should give you all the confidence in the world going into a game too, because there is zero pressure on Miami. And damn it, if they don't play well when that happens. And so... I would I would believe it more in this series than I would have in e- either of the previous two. Izzy, before we get out of here, do do you want to plug your new podcast with like a little more gusto? You were very shy sure. about it early on, and it's a cool project. I think a lot of Heat fans will enjoy kind of reminiscing about um, the big three in that team. So you want? I know the Heat fans well, and here's what. Let me just ask you guys a question because I get nervous about this stuff. You know, I've never done a podcast. I certainly never narrated like a podcast series, right? I've done these things, right? We could just talking, but I've listened to you know the drafts of the first few episodes, and I'm like, I like listening to. I I get over the fact that I'm listening to myself, but I'm like, it's not bad. But I I don't know what people are going to expect from this. But it's a it's a Heat podcast. It's about LeBron era Miami Heat. It's called uh, Four Years of Heat. And it's eight episodes. It's me sort of taking you through the experience over again. I, you know, we didn't get LeBron, C, B, or D Wade, um, despite the fact that it's an NBA podcast. But it's just one of those where it's just like, hey, those guys are busy. They're trying to do their own thing. But it's almost like it's better from these other voices. You know, a Shane Battier, a Ray Allen, Udonis has, Lamario Chalmers uh, from other teams. You got like Joe Kim Noah. Um, Brendan Haywood, who gave me a great breakdown of the 2011 finals. Um, you know, a bunch of uh, Boris Diaw, Matt Bonner. And then you got like, you know, Levitard's on it, Rachel Nichols, Jackie McMullen, Tim Reynolds, a bunch of uh, <laughs> a bunch of very respected um, uh, names in media as well. And so Jim Gray it just sort of paints that whole picture again. And, and there's a little, you know, even if you are a diehard Heat fan, there's going to be details of that run that you didn't know about. Um, and even if, 
you know, and it's, if you're not a diehard Heat fan, like I think it's going to be, you know, for for younger folks who who in LA who just became you know LeBron crazed fans, like they're going to learn a lot from him. You know, Dallas fans, San Antonio fans, Cleveland fans, I think, uh, probably not, Chicago fans, Pacers fans. A lot of these people are going to be real. A lot of these fans are going to be interested in just sort of revisiting that. And frankly, you know, LeBron James, 20 years in the league, arguably the best player ever, best scorer ever. Like, it was a huge part of his career those four years with Miami. So it's, you know, it's not the last dance. It's like the, the second dance. But it's it's a great it's a great thing to revisit. And so... Uh, thank you know iHeartRadio and the NBA you know kind of reached out to me and I was like very happy to do it and it's been awesome. Uh, I still have a couple episodes to finish up, but it's been great and I think um, you know as long as people are okay with my voice uh, as a narrator and some of my choices. Uh, oh, DJ Khaled is in every episode too, just uh, kind of randomly because he's the best. You know, he's a Heat super fan, so uh, I think it's I think it's a great listen. Uh, starting on May twenty third is the first episode, and then um, I think sort of peaking at episode six, which is the Ray Allen shot, which is going to be released the same week, uh, the 10 year anniversary of the shot. So really cool project. Um, again, makes me nervous throwing myself out there in a, a, a sort of uh, medium that I haven't really done before, at least not that style. But, you know, hopefully people like it. And thanks to all those guys who took part because it was it was pretty awesome. Like by the, uh, talking to Ray Allen for like an hour and I'm just like, man, I'm only at, you know, the first playoff series. I got to get through this quicker. <laughs> so it was just a great time talking to those guys. That sounds absolutely incredible. And I cannot wait to listen to it. Uh, you, you just made me feel terrible though. When you said it was a 10 year anniversary of the Ray Allen shot, I saw the look in Harry's eyes. I saw a little right. bit of light leave his eyes and I was like, yeah, it's a decade. That whole yeah. Jesus, all, all right. that warrior stuff happened after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steph Curry built a legacy after that yes. shot. Just mind blowing stuff. But no, we we encourage all of our listeners to also go over there and listen to Izzy's because that that just sounds incredible. I know you had me at DJ Khaled too because <laughs> I love hearing his perspective on things because it's always just so like out of left field kind of things and yes. his opinions on things. It's just it's entertaining. I cannot, for sure. I cannot not laugh when oh son of a bitch Carolina scored. Um, I cannot not laugh when uh when I hear when I revisit and rehear that conversation. It's just he's he's the best. I cannot wait. But okay, so la very last thing before we close, have you mm -hmm. peed next to anybody new that's most famous? No, nobody new. It's still Mark Kotze's top of the list, but um, it is something I think about every time I go to the bathroom. So it's like, hey, who's gonna be? Nope, just me. All right. <laughs> Well said. Hey, I mean, let us know if it ever changes. We'll keep asking. I so will. thank you guys so much for tuning in, spending some favorite, uh, your, some time with your favorite random scrubs. We will always be here for you. And before we go, the best call of Kevin Harlan's career. Absolutely incredible. Thank you guys. Take care. Be good people. Need a stop and a rebound. For you. For three. Oh, my. That was the Random Scrub Heat Podcast.